This is the Pink Floyd Fellows, featuring your fellas, Pete and PJ, leading you through the journey of the world's most popular progenitors of progressive psychedelic rock, Pink Floyd. It's Pete. And PJ. Welcome to the show, PJ. Welcome to the show, Pete. I like the double introduction. It makes me feel fancy. That we get to say our names twice, you mean? Well, that you say my name once, and then I get to say it. You say your name twice, of course. Yeah, really? Here's what we should do. You know how we have that random voice that you you paid some actor to record at the end of all our episodes that say, a Beach Boys Boys production? Yeah. We should get, we should hire someone, again, like an actor, to do like a late night style introduction voice of like, you know, from the studio in New York. It's like that kind of shit of our introduction and then just drop it in every time because that would be fantastic and then it's like they're introducing us so then we aren't really double introducing i'm uh looking at fiverr right now pete hell yeah hell yeah i love this idea also oh yeah i forgot about our idea god damn it we need to get into this to i'll look into i can that can be my task i'm gonna write that down i can look up someone on fiverr or something to review pink floyd albums for us Are you just going to send it in as if it's your own music and say, please review this album? No, I think I'll be straight up about it. Well, I don't know if I'll say it's for a podcast, but I'll just say, like, I want someone to review. Like, you can either do an audio recording of you talking about it or you could type it out. But, like, either way. Yeah. Do you think uh, Santano's on Fiverr? Do you think he'd do it? (laughs) Why? I don't understand. (laughs) Anthony. Oh, sorry. Fantano. I said Santano. (laughs) Who's Fantano? Like, I don't, now I'm lost. You don't know who Anthony Fantano is? No. He's like the Sorry, number man. one YouTube oh. music reviewer. Oh, he's nice. a bald. He's a bald guy with glasses. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. You, yeah, I've, you've probably I've definitely seen, seen those. Yeah. Scroll through my feed, or I don't have a YouTube feed, but you know what I mean. No, um, you got a YouTube feed. I was hoping you were talking about the guys who've never heard all those classic songs before, and then. The, the oh, two, yeah. like, <laughs> brothers or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We listened to Queen for the first time. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Is this real? Is this I real feel like music? That's what... Maybe. Yeah. Well, he really did him, outdid himself on this one. And they're just talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> oh, yeah, outdid pro- compared to what? Yeah, I don't know. Nothing. They have nothing to compare to. Yeah, they have no baseline. Um, I will record a professional Punjabi voiceover in 24 hours. All right, sure. Uh, do you want to hear his sample? Yes. Chevrolet Buick GMC employee pricing. This might but that first one, let's go back. Yeah, go back. Chevrolet Buick GMC employee pricing. It's in another language, just for some reason employee pricing needs to be in English. Employee pricing and then all the brand names, which I kind of yeah. get. Is is Punjabi a language? Must be. Am I Google's our my... Google's our friend here. It's an Indo-Aryan language of the Punjab region, PJ. Idiot. Jesus Christ, 113 million people speak it. Oh. And you don't even know it exists. I ain't hardly even know what English is. Goddamn. 
yeah, I mean, look, if he'll do that in the style, but just in English, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, welcome. This is, yeah, like I said, this is the Pink Floyd fellas. Uh, we're on our second episode, moving along uh, through the history of the Floyd. And, uh, and we're trying to answer the question. Which one is Floyd? And which one's Pink? We don't know. There's I, there's up to five people in this band at any time. And so, and only two names. Like, it's, it, is it a Fleetwood Mac style thing where only two people got their names in the band, even though there's a bunch of them? Who knows? Well, the drummer's name is Floyd Pink. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll see. We'll also see if they all start fucking each other and then break up over it. It's possible. I don't know exactly why Roger Waters got mad at all of them. Maybe it's because, you know, like a blowjob happened backstage and then David Gilmore didn't want to be friends after it or something. And so. That very well could be. Shit got awkward. But, no. Well, so PJ, after our last run ended, uh, we, we read all of the mail. But we didn't respond to it, and nor nor did we read it on air. So I think it's time for a little catch up. And last time, you know, we were too excited about Pink Floyd. We were too well. We just wanted to get this episode out there. We wanted people to hear it. We wanted all of our fans to know that we did not go with their choice. We went with the number two yeah. choice. <laughs> and so, um, I, yeah, I think uh, we we can go ahead and get to our listener mail from months and months ago. It's awfully considerate of you to think of me here And I'm most obliged to you for making it clear that I'm not here And I never knew the moon could be so big Alright, so our first message uh, is from Joe Who has messaged us many times in the past Our biggest fan, some would say Mm-hmm, mm-hmm uh, so and I'm going to uh, kind of selectively edit some of these emails because they mention the winning artist at certain points. And so yeah. sometimes I just might leave all that out. But unless I, if, since I'm not or what am I trying to say? If I if I didn't say this, I think I'm going to do a good enough job. No one would notice anyway. So I don't know why I'm telling people this. That's all right. Okay. Joe says, good wrap-up. Oh, this is from October of 2022, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the end of 27, at the end of the 27 club. Good wrap-up. I'm glad to hear that you warmed up to the doors a little bit in the end. Uh, not only a little bit, Joe, I have listened, yeah. I have re-listened to all of the Doors albums recently for fun and pleasure, and I was having some uh, iTunes issues, old man alert here, where all my music was on my phone, but my iTunes was freaking out and like not putting certain music on there. And I had a moment where I was most freaked out because none of the Doors albums were on my iTunes anymore. Wow. And I was like, shit, I have to have the Doors music on here. Like, cause I need to listen to the Doors. Should our 27 club tattoo then just be a door with a 27 on it? <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, like the room 113 or whatever, 217. What the hell is that documentary? I think it's 217. My my dorm room was room 314 people. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. Pie. Um, so yeah. We made tons of pies in there. <laughs> uh, cream pie. I thought perhaps you were a little <laughs> harsh on them. Uh, so I'm glad you warmed up to the doors a little bit. I thought perhaps you were harsh on them during the track by tracks. That's true, but also it's the doors, so they deserve it. 
Um, yeah. I think he just got caught up with Morrison hate. True, but he deserves it. Yeah. Uh, and I think I'm hearing you say Amy is growing on you some. Yeah. Uh, I'm still confused why you didn't cover her posthumous album, Lioness Hidden Treasures. You could have at least talked about why you didn't cover it. Well, we talked about it when we talked about I Jimmy, thought we did. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Well, I, I, like we might not have technically mentioned that album, but when we mm-hmm. talked about Jimi Hendrix, we talked about how he has a million posthumous albums, and we've also just never done posthumous stuff. Yeah. At all. And we also, like, we barely do the best ofs, which that kind of is. I don't know. Yeah. We did, I think we did talk about it a little bit. I remember talking about it because we talked about the extended Back to Black. Right. And I, I thought we mentioned, but whatever. So here you go, Maybe Joe. We now we're talking about we are, we aren't going to cover it because we don't do posthumous albums unless it's Pearl. <laughs> That's the only one. But to be fair, we were talking, I guess we were talking about Janis Joplin. I think but, this came up because Pearl we did because it was a finished album before she died. Yeah. Whereas if it's like B-sides and outtakes that they release after they died, no in- or not no interest, but just that's not well, really going track album by Pearl album was through a discography. supposed to be an album. Like she that's recorded an album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 Amy Winehouse, yeah, did not. Yeah. It was not none of that was recorded to be an album. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's why we didn't cover it and that's why we won't cover a lot of posthumous stuff. Mm-hmm. um or and or some certain best ofs and or you know uh compilations i gotta say pete i gotta just apologize in general i i talk shit about best ofs a lot however there are some best ofs that are fine like patsy klein never really released albums you know yeah. she just like was single after single and those are fine I just hate like a best of the eagles or a best of well i would never listen to that ever but I just think best ofs are not a great way to get into a band. Anyway, yeah, uh, I just needed to clear that up because I feel like I've been very harsh on them in the past. Yeah. Well, and just in the context of the show, like going through a band or artist discography generally does not include, like you don't consider a best of as part of their like studio no. releases. So, Except for Tom Petty because he recorded a song no. specifically for his best of. Well, and yeah, it can get confusing sometimes because like Flowers isn't a, it's a compilation with yeah. some new songs and some unreleased stuff from the UK and the US, you know, and we're going to get to that with Pink Floyd too. Cause there's some unreleased stuff that will like come out on compilations or they have like a half live half studio album. We're going to talk about, even though that's not something mm-hmm. we've usually done. So anyway, right. Um, yeah. Bands get, they get a little bit crazy. Sometimes these rock stars, a little wild, these rock stars get. So Joe says for overall ranks, he thinks Jimmy, Jim and Kirk. And then in parentheses, James T uh, which I assume is both a funny joke and then also, at, if it is, then uh, they would all be all be Jim, which is kind oh. of amazing. Yeah. Would be a three-way tie with Janice and Amy close behind because this is a boys club. Uh, yeah. I Did forget. Did he say that? Or was that I, yeah, no, that's editorialization? Yeah. Okay. I forget. Um, Did we rank them? I, I forget. As far as the future, he might just be doing that. As far as the future, he's planning to check out uh, which I'm planning to check out regardless. So thanks, Joe. He doesn't even care. He just wants, you know what? He wants these sultry tones in his ear. His votes would be number one, Beat, number two, Rush, and number three, The Smiths versus The Cure with epic rap battles, of course. Uh, which I don't think that was one of the options, but I appreciate the thought. <laughs> And we've I never don't. done a versus show. That would be <laughs> yeah. interesting. It would it kind would of be interesting, interesting to do two bands that were around at the same time. Like, I guess and we didn't do this with the Stones, bands. but if it was like the Beatles and the, like, 
yeah. and just went album and then back to the other album and which one's better. We'd each have to have a favorite, I think. For a year, we, we could do Kanye West versus 50 Cent, or for like two albums, they were <laughs> dueling. Anyway. I think they're pretty risky to talk about these days. <laughs> I don't know. Fitty's great. Okay. Next one's from Nathan, our biggest fan, our potential intern, uh, our most devoted listener, the number one person who would sign up for our Patreon and probably the only person if we ever did that. So Nathan, we love you. Uh, dear PJ and Pete, I really enjoyed the 27 Ooh. Club and its finale. I think Stevie Wonder and the fictional movie bands are the best idea. Fictional movie bands would be the most fun. Frank, A Mighty Wind, and The Rudels would all be good movies to cover, I think. Thank you. Uh, I think we came across those ones in our research, but we will add them to the so. list if they're not. Yeah. Um, had one also, idea. if you don't know, go listen to our other podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Re- real bands, fake music? Fake maybe bands, on the same music? feed. Maybe not on the same feed. Maybe not. We don't know. Yeah. Also, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> fake bands, real music. Wait. Uh, okay. Oh, no. Is that the it, name or is that the tagline, though? No, I it's the, the name. name. I just don't remember if it's fake bands, real music, or real bands, fake music. No. It's fake bands, real music. Fake bands, real music. Go check out our other podcast, Fake Bands, Real Music. It's really good, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, First I, episode's okay. a banger. Oh, yeah, total banger. We definitely knew what we were doing and had it down <laughs> pat. I had one idea for a future season to cover all of the bands that Brian Epstein managed outside of the Beatles. It could be interesting, but it might not be that fun when you're five albums into Jerry and the Pacemakers. <laughs> That is a that is a fun idea. I mean, we've talked about doing stuff kind of similar to that, but yeah, taking like a manager and yeah. I um, will say that our lowest listenership ever has been when we covered the Twenty Seven Club and not just a band. That's kind of true. Yeah, so yeah. it might be a little confusing for people because like Brian Epstein, not a huge draw in the. Yeah, name. I don't know how many people are going to podcasts and searching Brian Epstein. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Nathan. Great note. Uh, so the next one's from, I believe, a new person. I don't think that I, we've ever heard from this person before. Uh, PJ's just lighting up a joint over there. <laughs> hey, man. Pink Floyd really makes him want to get in. PJ never smoked weed before in his life. Getting into it because of Pink Floyd. I love it. He's also... Yeah, I'm gonna, he started I'm gonna start dropping acid, acid like a little crazy, bit later. Yeah. All right. So our next one's from Fabio. Uh, that can't be real, right? It, it. You know what? Literally, who knows? Uh, their email's like hidden or whatever, so huh. it might be fake, but hi, PJ. Hi, Pete. Discovered your podcast during the pandemic, and I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. Uh, I was going through a rough time recently, and that Talkbox PJ thing in one episode made me laugh a lot. Yeah, that's, you know what, Talkbox PJ, just like Robin Williams as a clown, it's really the best medicine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, hey, look at this. Pink Floyd would be a great choice for the next band. We heard you, oh, Fabio. Wow. They have 15 studio albums and also at least two movies, Live at Pompeii and The Wall. This and the live albums should make it more than 20 albums. Yeah, and even paying attention to the album count. Good job, Fabio. Thank you. Wow, this guy should be our intern, him and Nathan. Yeah, we can have some dueling interns, Nathan versus Fabio. There and they go. both have to write rap battles every week. Yeah. <laughs> one about the cure, one about the Smiths. Yeah, exactly. We're going to cover every base here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, not the last one. The second to last one uh, is from Austin, who... uh, The city? Yeah, I'll admit I don't recognize off the immediately, but I'm 99% sure Austin's emailed. Well, let me just scroll. Oh, yeah, Austin emailed a lot about Badfinger, I believe. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I feel like I remember Austin because I kept telling him to keep it weird. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Hey, 
That's foggy old Portland Towns thing that they stole from Austin. <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I thought it was San Francisco's thing that they stole from Portland. <laughs> yeah, that they, they stole, stole from Portland. Who stole it from Austin? Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Austin says, uh, no intro, no deer, no nothing. So thanks a lot. Mm. Just straight in. Listen to the finale of the 27 Club on Tuesday and remember just now to email in about the potential topics for next season. Um, oh, boy. So that means that this is from October 13th. That means that our the last episode came out even earlier than that. Damn. Time flies. Uh, I am Four all months. for either Beep or a season based off the band. I will say, though, that the other podcast you guys mentioned about the band, uh, which I listen to whenever they put out a new episode. Uh, thanks. Uh-huh. Look, okay, so he listens to the other band podcast whenever they put out a new episode. But it took him up to multiple days to listen to the finale of the 27 Club. Austin, you are revealing your podcast order, and I don't appreciate it, man. That's not okay. We got to be, look, we're number one or we're done. Take us off. Was there another podcast about the band? This was only four months ago. I remember nothing we spoke about. It's apparently called The Band of History. Oh. Yeah. It's a fucking boring name. Should be the band The History. Exactly. Uh, it's pretty much the band version of <laughs> They do the same sort of format with episodes every month and interviews with other people in the band community. Well, I would always love to hear you guys talk about the band because, in my opinion, they don't have a dud album in their catalog to High on the Hog in 96. They released albums in 1996. <laughs> I did not know that. And it's a dud? No. No. I can't believe any of that sentence. <laughs> Well, they took a lot of inspiration from Sugar Ray in the 90s. Oh. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you would be going up against steep competition. Well, first of all, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> we took on on and we won, asshole. We won to yeah. the point where then when that new dumbass Beach Boys podcast came in, they were they were emailing us. They were tweeting yeah. at us. They weren't tweeting at fucking Wyatt Funderbark. All right. Yeah. Speaking of which, he was in the town that I live in. Like, a month ago, didn't fucking stop in to say hi. God damn, so this beef, beef is against, reignited. He doesn't, he doesn't even fucking listen anymore. I guarantee. turn on the gas, start up the grill. But if you are a beef. fan of his fucking, uh, what do you call it, cover band, tribute band, yeah. or his podcast, yeah. and you also listen to this, email that motherfucker and tell him we got beef again. Yeah. You or are if you're asking him to yeah. play at your wedding, though, right? Oh, yeah. To be the band at your wedding. Okay, okay. That's good. That would well, actually. I mean, don't be, be too. Awesome. Don't be too me. Just put that in your email. Say how pissed yeah. we are, but also PJ's looking forward to him being at your yeah. wedding. <laughs> exactly. Do that. If he comes, um, he can be my best man. <laughs> so I'm gonna go ahead. You know what, Austin? First of all, again, fuck you for thinking that we couldn't take on the yeah. band of history. They didn't even name their podcast correctly. <laughs> um, and also they only put about one a month. We're gonna do. We used to do up to four a month, and now we're gonna do about two a month. That's still twice as many as they're doing. So yeah. how can they be better? It's bullshit. And look, we're going to talk about this later, but I bought a fucking book for this podcast, okay, motherfucker? Wikipedia, Whoa. no more. I'm reading a goddamn book, and I'm citing sources, bitch. We're not That's... just reading Wikipedia anymore and Googling, did Pink Floyd guitar, who played Pink Floyd guitar on this song? <laughs> I Damn. know for sure who did what and when, and I have quotes. I like that shit, Pete. Motherfucker. We're back to our Beach Boys and fucking Rolling Stones roots. That is exactly right. Seven Club, you're not going to read nine different books about that many people. No. So if you yeah. think that we can't take on 
the band of history, then you're fucking wrong. Screw it. Votes out the window. Next band we're doing, the band. And we're going to crush it. We're going to race. Call, call it the band, the podcast. It, exactly. Which is, it writes itself, guys. Yeah. <laughs> this is too good. The band, the podcast, parentheses, not the band of history. That piece of shit. Yeah. yeah. Man, we got really amped up real quick, Pete. All right. The rest of his email says, I do enjoy your other idea about the fake groups and movies and would love to see that as a side podcast to go along with whatever you choose to do for the main topic. Oh. Austin, way ahead of you. <laughs> Four months later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go listen to our other thing, Fake Bands Real Music. Can't wait to hear what's in the future for the Beach Boys Boys and will always enjoy what comes. That's very nice to say. Your biggest fan, Austin from LA. That's confusing. Whew. Does yeah, he mean, does he mean Lower Austin, Texas? Like he lives in Lower Austin? Pete, we He's have Austin, made this right? joke so many times before. Um, P.S., and this will get us to a little Beach Boys news here in a minute. Are you excited Ooh. for the new box set for Holland slash Carl and the Passions coming this winter? Austin, let me tell you, I didn't read your podcast until today <laughs> or your email. <laughs> you know. I, no, I scanned it. I didn't catch the P.S. I, I had looked at it before, but I did not catch the P.S., I was unaware that that box set was coming out, but in classic Beach Boys news, just like we did, I think, with his last email about L.A., we're looking that shit up right now. <laughs> um, oh, what is our Beach Boys news? Surf Jam? Yeah. Okay, Always here we go. Beef sandwiches. Now for $10. <laughs> we should get this guy to do our voiceover. Yeah, we should. Two, oh, one, two, three, jam! All right, the Beach Boys, this is an article off of musicconnection.com dated December 2nd, 2022 by Harvey Kubernick. Oh, um, my favorite publication with my favorite writer. Yeah. Uh, the Beach Boys landmark albums, already wrong, Harvey, 1972's Carl and the Passion, So Tough, and 1973's Holland. <laughs> Neither of those are landmark in any way, shape, or form. In fact, Holland, which I really enjoy, a minor release at best. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, we'll take center focus in Ceylon Sailor 1972, an expansive multi-disc box set uh, that released December 2nd. Uh, so, let's see. So, the same team behind the Smile Sessions, uh, and then last year's acclaimed Feel Flows, the Sunflower Surf's Up Sessions 1969-1971. Uh, re- contains remastered versions of Carl and the Passions plus Holland, plus Holland's Mount Vernon and Fairway, the Fairy Tale EP, complete with its original instructions to listen in the dark. Uh, it also oh. has an unreleased live concert recorded at Carnegie Hall on Thanksgiving 1972. The first ever release... No concert on Thanksgiving. Yeah, right. The first ever release of a complete Beach Boys concert uh, with the original set list from this era. Okay, that's a lot of qualifiers. Let's see. Let me see what we need to... Apparently, the Carnegie Hall set was recorded on 16-track tape, which was rare for the time. Uh, so it's really good quality, I guess. That is insane which because is interesting. the Stones and the Beach Boys, I think they both were like, yeah, we just had somebody hold a microphone that was in the fucking balcony yeah. before. Well, should we give a listen to apparently the, um, the version of You Need a Mess of Help to Stand Alone? from that Carnegie Hall set is like the main kind of thing or, or the 
not the single, but it was the preview kind of track that they released to advertise this. So let's give that a listen and see what we think, Austin. Whoa, they've got Blondie Chaplin on the Hell yeah. cover. And uh, Ricky Gervais or whatever. Guitar. Huh. I mean, it's solid. They also yeah. say that the year 1972 was a pivotal period for the Beach Boys, fresh off a wave of newfound popularity and critical acclaim from Sunflower and Surf's Up. They didn't waste any time getting back into the studio to record Carl and the Passions. <laughs> I mean, it is an interesting little duo because, yeah, that's when Blondie yeah. and, and Ricky came into the band for just those couple of albums, but I don't know. I mean... Look, Austin, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's interesting, but of all the Beach Boys albums, those two I don't know that I need to 100% revisit. Although, I would consider finding the uh, remastered version of Holland to re-download, to re-rip, steal, whatever you want to call it, for my iTunes just to have a better version of Holland. And and I'll do the first track off of... Carl and the Passions? Yeah, what is that song? Um, Here she comes. I'd, yeah, I'd get a, some, yeah. a better version of that one. So I might, I might. You know what? I take it back, Austin. I'm very excited for this release. <laughs> Mostly for that Carl and the Passions tune, though, right? Oh yeah, God, Here She Comes is such a banger. It the is the best Beach Boy song that is not a Beach Boy song in any way, shape, or form. That's true. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's a great flame song. It is so fantastic. All right. Uh, that has been Beach Boys News. All right. Uh, so one more piece of listener mail. Um, this is from Alex San Filippo. Oh yeah, I remember this. Alex and I emailed back and forth a little bit in October. Uh, this is the most recent one. So here oh, we go. Look at these two blowjob brothers. Yeah. So on October 22nd, I'm just going to kind of do the whole exchange because it's pretty interesting here. Like obviously a big, a big fan. So October 22nd, Alex emailed me, Hey, I found the beach boys boys on Apple podcast. That's so nice. Oh, love to hear it from a new fan as a fellow podcaster. Oh man. And so he even gets, he gets that like he does this and he realizes how good we are. You know what I mean? And that's the best kind of compliment. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Here's the picture. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, Okay. As a fellow podcaster, I wanted to reach out to connect. How's the show going? Great, thank you. Is there anything I can do to be helpful or supportive? Just you emailing is fantastic. Yeah, we like that. One thing you may get value from is Podmatch. It helps you find guests to interview while monetizing your podcast at the same time. If you're not looking for guests, you can also be a guest on other podcasts. I recorded this short video about it and then a YouTube link. If there's anything I can do to be helpful, please let me know. Smiley face. Here to serve... Alex Sanfilippo, founder, Pod Bros, Podmatch, Podcast SOP, Pod Lottery, host, podcasting made simple. Wow! So that one of the nicest t- pieces think. of listener mail we received since the early days when oh, I for I now I forget between Austin and Nathan who was more polite in those early days. But anyway, so I said hi, Alex. Thanks for reaching out. We're actually asking our fans right now to vote on Stevie Wonder, Pink Floyd, <laughs> or Tom Petty for our next show. What's your vote? Thanks. <laughs> 
And then he I said, email him back. <laughs> and then he said, <laughs> he emailed back October 31st. Oh yeah. This, so I took like nine days. I emailed him October 31st and he immediately responded. Thanks for the response, PJ. Stevie wonder all the way. Another <laughs> smiley face. <laughs> so there we go. That was our, I think our like second Stevie wonder vote. Oh, wow. So there we go, Alex. I should, you know what? I should reach out to him again. Just see what's up. You, you know, I don't uh, look at our email super often. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> I think I've done that before once. I don't remember if they ever emailed back, but it was a similar thing where like just some, yeah. It was like, and I just emailed because, back. Yeah. I think I just emailed back like, you know, thanks for being a fan. We appreciate it or something. I didn't ask yeah. a follow-up question, but. Huh. It's cool that he uh, emailed back. It's so chill, man. I know. Like, I, it makes me actually kind of want to email him back. <laughs> Become friends. I mean, we don't need – I don't think we need to be guests on other shows, and we don't really need guests, but, you know, monetizing, that's intriguing. That's true. Anyway. You might hear some ads yeah. other than the My Pillow guy. Here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that has been, uh, so thank you everyone for emailing us. We're sorry it took so long to get to those emails. And I know I didn't personally respond to any of them, which I usually try and do. Um, except for Alex. Yeah. Except for Alex. I think I'm going to go ahead and call it. It's too late now. I'm not responding guys, but we do appreciate the emails. Please email yeah. us again. Beachboysboys at gmail.com. I promise once we're, you know, once we're actually recording, I'm a lot better about checking them and responding. So it's uh, true. It was four months of us just forgetting how to podcast. Yeah, basically. So. Yeah, as a slow roll down toward the bottom of that valley. Um, so please, yeah, please email. Please, you know, rate, review uh, on iTunes if you want. And uh, most of all, just keep listening to the show. Yeah. So that has been Listener Mail. I love a cup of lovely tea with me. I don't remember what the song was. No. All right. Well, PJ, are you ready to talk a little bit about Pink Floyd? Pinky and the Floyd, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Ooh. About them. Not them. Oh. No. Not not them. Not interested then. Please never not them. interested. No. Uh so we teased this in listener mail, but the the big piece of news this week is that I bought a book, PJ. In fact, I bought two and there's a story, but <laughs> I oh. I kept one. It's okay. called Pink Floyd All the Songs. Uh, subtitled The Story Behind Every Track. And Peter, did you get it at the famous Powell's bookstore? I did not. I got it off the famous Amazon.com. <laughs> okay, cool. Nah, Powell's didn't have this one, so. Uh, yeah, as long as you're keeping it in the Pacific Northwest, that's fine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was from yeah. my local Amazon center. <laughs> so yeah. I actually think it might have been because it came in like less than 24 hours. So it was well, definitely... I mean, they send everything from Seattle. Yeah, I was sitting so. at that warehouse. Uh, and the authors, John Michael Gusdon and Philippe Margotan, Margotan, oh, two, two French, author, so. two Frenchies, um, or at least French sounded names, which I'm only really saying the authors because I'm going to be referencing this book a lot. And I want it to be clear that I do credit them <laughs> for writing this whole thing and doing all this research that I'm cribbing for our show. Yeah. But, Peter went to journalism school. Yeah, so. that's right. Uh, so I got this book, and then I got another book, which I actually now forget the name of, uh, but it's more of like a, you know, just general band biography. Um, that So I was going to read that and then just have the song by song thing, which I haven't really done before, but use that kind of instead of Wikipedia just for like who's playing what on what track, who's singing, who's mm -hmm. writing, all that kind of stuff, because we do a lot of that on this show. True. 
Yeah. So I got the Our patented track by track. Yeah. I got the, all the songs, started reading it. It actually has a lot more stuff than that. Like it has track by track, but then it also has these long introductions at the beginning of each album with a ton of context and history about what was going on at the time. Hmm. It's got full it chapters. It sounds like our podcast. Yeah, basically. It's got full chapters. Yeah, this is Pink Floyd, all the songs, the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or it's going to be. Um, it's got full chapters on like their singles and stuff. And anyway, so it's got a ton of info. So by the time the second book came, I wasn't even sure I was going to read it. And then when I got it, it was like a normal novel size of a little mm-hmm. paperback or like a normal size paperback book. I opened it up. <clears throat> the text was inset about a full inch and a half from each edge of the page. Hmm. The margins were gigantic. And the text itself was really, really small <laughs> to the point where I I didn't know if I could read the book at least comfortably. And so I was already on the fence about keeping it or not. So I sent that shit back. Yeah. but That's a good call. Yeah. So who knows if that one was going to be any good. But. We do have Pink Floyd, all the songs, the story behind every track, and I will try and throw out there when I'm pulling stuff from it, um, or like pretty specific stuff from it, just because we're probably going to use it a lot, because it's a really good book so far. Do you think we could do an umbrella thing where we're like, everything we talk about is from this book? <laughs> I mean, like... Credit credit due. Today, a lot of it is going to be, because... <clears throat> excuse me. Because the Wikipedia page is pretty weak for Saucer Full of Secrets, if you ask me. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. I'd recommend it to anyone into Pink Floyd. It's I'd never I had kind of shied away from the song by song ones just because I thought they'd be a little annoying and just like too specific, basically. But I will say with Pink Floyd specifically, I actually do think it's helpful because they have a lot of longer songs since they're a little more obviously psychedelic prog. It's I don't know. It's. Like, it, it makes more sense kind of to read while you're listening as opposed to a band like the Beach Boys or something where there's, like... Well, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think if there's a song called I Like time. Surfer Girls, you know what yeah. that song's about. Yeah. But, yeah, you look at, like, A Saucer Full of Secrets off this album and reading about it while you're listening to it is a kind of different different sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. So it, it did, though, you know, since I read from the beginning, it brought up a couple of things from the first album that I wanted to go over. Not uh, corrections exactly, but just a couple interesting notes. Real from, quick, may I interject for yeah. a moment, Pete? Sometimes you'll hear me get quiet on the podcast, and I won't talk for a minute or two. And most of the time, is I've realized this when I was editing, it's because I'm trying to pour a beer with not a lot of... <laughs> The important, the really important shit in life. Yeah. I love it. You'll say some stuff and I'll be like, yeah, and I'll just be trying to do chemistry over here. Um, so not really corrections, but just a couple of like extra interesting notes from Piper, from a Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Wait, no, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I'm the getting pi- confused yeah. with a saucer full of The Piper at a Gates of Dawn. My word. Yeah, the Dark Moon. Her wall. Shit like that. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the authors in this book uh, make a really good point that I kind of didn't pick up on. Like we talked about his guitar playing, especially on Lucifer Sam being kind of like spy guitar a little bit. But they make a good point that in Astronomy Domine, Lucifer Sam and uh, Interstellar Overdrive, he's all kind of doing 
like surf guitar style stuff and that that was an influence yeah. for him, which is interesting. And I just kind of honestly hadn't really picked up on. And then once I read that, I went, oh, yeah, duh. It's like very, very surf guitar with the super trebly, a little bit of echo on there and yeah, and the style. Um, So that's pretty interesting. And then also on Lucifer Sam, I did not know this. Uh, once again, Wikipedia failing us. Um, but on the instrumental break, the in the background, there's what sounds like the Vampire Weekend style guitar thing where they're going like really fast. That is apparently yeah. Roger playing his bass with a violin bow. Oh, to go a la Jimmy Page, really, really fast. Yeah, and yeah, and I will say, like, it sounds really good. Usually, when people do the bow, it's just for noise purposes, but right. for him, it's just to go super, super fast, and it it actually sounds really good. So that was an interesting hmm. thing too. But, that is interesting. Yeah. So and then, uh, are we ready to get get back into the the story of Pink Floyd here, Peter? As long as we figure out which one of those British motherfuckers is Floyd. Okay. I don't know if it'll be today, but eventually, mm. I think. We're tracking down this case, but we're going piece by piece. Uh, so like, we're going like to overlap. Cereal. Exactly. The first podcast. We're going to overlap uh, every piece of cereal they picked up on that trail. Hansel and Gretel-like trail to the to Adnan. Um, so we're going to overlap a tiny bit with... Uh, what we t- last week we talked a little bit about like their U.S. tour and stuff, so I'll, I'll try not to repeat a lot of stuff. But we're gonna kind of go back in time because just three days after Piper at the Gates of Dawn is released, EMI gets Pink Floyd back into the studio. Um, Wait, yes, I was gonna make a joke about Back to the Future, and then you really started talking about Pink Floyd. <laughs> okay, go ahead though. I, I was gonna it. say, what if uh, Marty McFly went back in time and played uh, that Lucifer's Bone song or whatever it's called? <laughs> What is it called? <laughs> Lucifer Sam. Yeah, Lucifer Sam. What if he Lucifer's went back and played bow. Lucifer Sam? <laughs> I didn't know. Fantastic. It Lucifer might as Sam well be at the high it. school prom. Yeah, at the high school prom. And he was like, I guess yeah. you guys aren't ready for this, but it's just this in the background. You guys aren't um, ready for it, but your kids are going to love it. <laughs> you know, that actually would have really worked because that upright bass player probably already had a bow in the back. That's true. You know, yeah, that would have worked. Okay, so they head back to the studio because EMI wants that second album, and they want that motherfucking single for the holidays. Uh, Piper came out in October. So oh, Okay, so they, they want a spooky song for Halloween. Yeah, exactly. They want, they want the next single. So, and this is still the four-piece lineup with Sid. Uh, so they start working on several tracks, uh, a couple of which will make it onto a saucer full of secrets, but like two or three won't. Um, and these are their last sessions in the studio with Sid Barrett. So at this point, I, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on their U.S. tour, which will be kind of after this, but he's really deteriorating mentally. He's checked out. He's not doing well. I could tell that from the music on the first album. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, and it's kind of, it it appears to be kind of a combo of drug use and then also just being under pressure now as the main songwriter and kind of artistic voice behind Pink Floyd, which had a pretty solid 
release on their first album, and now EMI is saying, all right, second album, new single, go get it, boys. Their manager, or one of their managers, Andrew King, um, said uh, that he estimated some 50 to 60 people were relying on Pink Floyd to like get a hit single off that second album in terms of their management and people at EMI who were like... Oh, I thought you meant that's just how many people are going to buy it, like excited <laughs> for the album. There's 60 people. You know what? I should reread. Yeah, I should reread that part of the book. I might have read it wrong. Yeah, that's possible. (laughs) Some Sid, 50 people want to buy this album. Get the fuck out. Yeah. Oh boy, that's like all of England at the time. That's like our podcast numbers. Oh boy. Um, Yikes. So they release what song? I forgot to write it down. Opening the book. I wrote down the B side, but not. Oh, apples and oranges. I remember now. So he wrote and they recorded Apples and Oranges, which they thought, the band thought was a decent song, which their producer, Norman Smith, ruined with his production. Um, hmm. It failed to chart in the UK. They don't think that about all of the songs? Yeah. It failed to chart in the UK. And I think we mentioned on the last episode that the US, that the UK didn't release an album from Piper. The US released Fl- Flaming as the single from that album. Uh, and apparently, uh, they chose Flaming instead of Apples and Oranges because they didn't like Apples and Oranges either, the EMI American. Mm. Um, it would have been Capital, I think, distributor. Yeah. Um, but let's give Apples and Oranges a little listen. I forget, actually, which video we ended up watching on the last episode, but it's this is one that they do live in America. Or not live, but do on TV in America. Um, I had at least watched a video. I forget if it came up on the show. It's very 60s. <laughs> I like the I like the so, guitar and kind of the ramshackle start here. Like, so they said this was the song that they said they liked, but their producer ruined the yeah. thing. I agree. Yeah, I I agree with Pink Floyd. I think there is some semblance of a great song here and then he was like let's turn that china symbol way up and (laughs) uh now i hate it yeah yeah i think the verses especially are really good the apples and oranges part is super generic 60s pop song but yeah these verses i think are really good it is production that gets me for these guys like no. I know they're doing experimental music, but maybe don't do experimental production at the same time. <laughs> but they got it, man. They got to make you feel it from all angles, PJ. Kind of like that Lucifer so. bone. <laughs> yeah. When Lucifer bones you, you feel it from every angle, am I right? <laughs> uh, particularly the back. Um, so I guess my question is... Do I need to like start smoking pot to understand these albums? Would it help? I don't think it would hurt. Here's what I'll say. I was actually going to bring this up when we talked about Saucer Full of Secrets, but I think like I think definitely there's a lot of Pink Floyd music that works whether you are into drugs or not. Obviously, like Dark Side of the Moon is one of the best-selling albums of all time. So, oh yeah. Um and was for a while, or at least it was the one that was on the charts for the longest, right? Like it stayed on the billboard charts yeah. for the longest time ever anyway um but i do think i don't think it hurts i'll say that i haven't actually been high and listened to either of these albums yet although both of them i've wanted to i just haven't 
I just haven't for... It's hard to get pot in Portland. For reasons, yeah, exactly. I just haven't for whatever reason. So I don't think it would hurt, but I do think you can get into it without drugs. I will say I feel like... I talked about this a little bit on the last episode where I'm like, you just kind of need to let the music happen and stop worrying about... Like, I feel like having a little bit of that just letting the music happen to you attitude helps, which I feel like is a little bit of a marijuana influenced way to listen to music so i'll that say could that because i just didn't get it man yeah but apples and oranges is fine i don't think it deserved to not hit the charts at all it actually seems like it could have been a minor at least hit but it sounds like every other song that i'm like is not not great but not terrible I don't know. yeah from this era yeah. where it's like yeah i, I could have seen it hitting the charts or not like i don't know so, yeah, so after this, they head out on that ill-fated U.S. visit uh, and then come back to tour the U.K., where Sid uh, gets more and more unreliable. And as we talked about last week, they bring in another guitarist, David Gilmore, who also was a childhood friend of Roger and Sid's um, to help cover at their live shows mainly. Hmm. Yeah, apparently they kind of looked at it from three angles. This is at least from the book. Um you know, are we going to do the Brian Wilson thing where Sid doesn't tour anymore, but he still writes our songs and kind of produces us and is our artistic visionary? Are we going to get a second guitar player to tour with us and Sid will still come, or are we just going to fire Sid? So they went they went the middle route and will eventually <laughs> fire Sid. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, so, spoilies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is also a, this is a quote from the band's secretary at the time. Um, who chalked Sid's troubles up just to LSD, plain and simple. Quote, lots of people can take some acid and cope with it in their lives, but if you take three or four trips a day and you do that every day. So, uh, but then David Gilmore later said that he recognized the acid would have maybe been a catalyst, but he really thought the pressures of being in the band, being the lead songwriter and the weight of those expectations really kind of hurt Sid more and made him you know like maybe use the acid then to deal but to cope it seems like when you uh have a band and you're like hey you guys are getting popular you do everything yeah and then like also Brian they're Wilson taking acid to too. yeah they <laughs> yeah. they go they tend to not not thrive yeah yeah um so also a little bit i guess he wasn't i was gonna say brian jones a little bit but he was not the main songwriter no really. well and his struggles were myriad like because he also he was also an asshole yeah exactly yes he also had some incidents of just being a a jerk including beating up his girlfriend and you know so like stuff like that that the band did not keith's girlfriend (laughs) no it was his girlfriend and then keith i know and then it became saved her yeah okay okay. yeah um but then maybe they were sleeping together i forget that story anyway so but so Sid actually was eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia, by the way. So, I mean, I'm sure the acid oh. and the pressure got to it, but he also had actual uh, other. I think that also happened with Brian Wilson, did it not? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forget exactly something. Um, so, but his band members have all agreed, though, uh, like looking at it in hindsight, that although he was struggling and somewhat gone, he apparently had his trademark dry sense of humor the whole time. Uh, uh, like the U.S. Very on British. their U.S. tour. I know, right? On their U.S. tour, I forget if we, again, I forget if we talked about this on the last episode, but uh, when they went on the Pat Boone show 
and they did two different performances, like I think two nights in a row. And during the first night, they did the rehearsals and he was like perfect and charming and engaging. And then when they actually were on air, he like refused to talk <laughs> at all and would just give like little one word answers. Uh, and then the next night was just totally normal the whole time. So just to fuck with him, which is pretty great. Um, Could have been the schizophrenia too. Yeah. So they hired Dave Gilmore, apparently known as Dave at the time. We might just call that guy Little Davey. <laughs> I think Little Davey's a great name for Little Little Mr. Davey Mr. Fingers. Gilmore. Um, so they hired him for, uh, like, uh, kind of unclear. Like, I, I assume the existing relationship of them being friends from, from way back kind of softens the blow of bringing in another person. But apparently they also discussed, you know, hiring a, a – a known quantity like a Jeff Beck or, you know, someone else kind of in the scene yeah. already. Cause David Gilmore was in bands. RIP. Yeah. He had, he had been in bands, but he was kind of struggling his, I forget he was in some band called like the Joker's wild or something and had toured Europe, but then also wasn't in a band at the time, I think, cause they had kind of fallen off and didn't have any success. So it's not like he was, you know, touring or in, in their scene and uh, killing it in the music scene. I guess is what I'm trying to say at the time so but they didn't even audition him they just asked he said yeah even though apparently he didn't like their music very much <laughs> i get it maybe <laughs> but he was like hey popular band wants me to be their guitar player why not which fair pretty fair so they hired him excuse me and he officially joined the band when they went on another little kind of mini tour of the uk in january of 1968 um so, a little bit about David Gilmore. So, he was in other bands in the 60s, mid mid to late 60s. Like I said, they weren't super successful. Uh, but at one point, like, he toured in around Europe and hung out with Jimi Hendrix in France for a night. And, like, oh. kind of had, yeah, had a little bit of a, a time in the sun. But then his band wasn't doing that well. So, then he worked. He, like, was a driver for a while. He just kind of worked odd jobs and wasn't really sure, you know, what to do. But then the Floyd came a-knocking and he answered. So, and most of his other bands, by the way, were R&B and blues bands, which, as we know from the Rolling Stones, were uh, extremely yeah. popular, um, but adapted to his new role in Pink Floyd by, especially live, at first, basically just copying Sid's style, listening oh, yeah. to their records and being like, okay, I'm just, like, my job is to just be this guy on stage, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, which it was. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and then also when they get into the studio, also not just like totally leaving behind because their first album was so much influenced by Sid's sound that he didn't want to just totally abandon that. Um, and then also we'll get to a good a good quote later in the track by track. But um, he also was like thought he was a good musician, but was had hadn't joined a band before, I guess, like he'd only started bands. So. Um, so adapting to like a, a band's existing sound was really weird and makes sense. It'd be hard. Yeah. So his, um, uh, a quote from him just real quick about this yeah. is that gradually over the years, my style changed to fit Pink Floyd and Pink Floyd changed to fit my style. So, oh. yeah, that's pretty nice. Well, I mean, yeah, of course it does. Um, <laughs> I just had, I had to look up a picture of young David Gilmore because I only know what he looks like now. Oh yeah. Um, oh, I don't know what he looks like now. I know what he looks like in the 70s, and he is a sexy motherfucker. See, I have the exact opposite thing, where I have no idea what a young David Gilmore looks like. 
I know him as old, old, white-haired man in a black T-shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. So much so that I was thinking, like, oh, you know, him and fucking Joe Walsh started dressing exactly the same at a certain point yeah. where it's, like, the fucking... Well, same with Roger Waters. Roger Waters yeah. wears a lot of black T-shirts and, like, stonewashed jeans, too. Black T-shirts, stonewashed jeans, and, like, New Balances. And then I was like, I wonder what Joe Walsh looked like when he was young. Exactly the same. He is not changed. Yeah, that's really but, funny. Uh, David Gilmore aged, I don't want to say horribly, but I only know what he looks like as an old man. And yeah, it's kind of weird because Roger like Waters, human being Roger Waters looks really similar to what how he looked he? his whole life, really. Yeah, but maybe it's just that super distinctive nose. Like David Gilmore has a little bit less distinctive well, features, so. and the the hair too. His hair is yeah, his Roger hair is basically hair been the has same. Hair. Changed very little. Yeah, and but like. David Gilmore just doesn't have hair anymore. Here we go. So it's kind of like um, that's his first photo with the band. Can you see that? Yeah. And then here's a really great photo of him doing a TV appearance with Roger Waters, which it's a cool guitar. I'm not a I'm not a total like a huge Roger Roger Waters fan, but a couple of sexy guys there. (laughs) True. Like no kidding. Those are some good looking motherfuckers. It's crazy that. Just everybody, I'm guessing in the early 90s, every rock star was like, black t-shirt jeans, that's, that's it. All you they do. just took inspiration from do. Steve Jobs, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Huh. Yeah. So uh, initially, Sid was apparently pretty excited about bringing Dave in for whatever yeah. reason. Maybe he was just trying to get excited about it. Maybe he actually was. Who knows? But he quickly started resenting it. And became more and more withdrawn, even more than he had been. Would just come out on stage and stand there not doing anything at all for the entire show. And so by the end of that same month, January 1968, they'd they'd become convinced it was the right move to just leave Sid at home, which they decided on their way to a gig, and fired him. So... Yeah. Cool. We talked about last time, like, the Black Hill Music or whatever, their six-way partnership with their managers... It does come up right now, not exactly a sad story, except for the managers, the first time that the managers Hmm. get screwed. So this, when they fired Sid, it created a little rift with their management. Andrew King and Peter Jenner were not happy. Any relation? (laughs) No. They were not happy because they wanted to stick with Sid. He was the genius, you know, like songwriter, visionary type guy that they, uh, you know, sought out Pink Floyd for. And so they dissolved the partnership. They took on Sid as their client and Pink Floyd signed with a new manager. They kind of got shuffled off. They signed with a new company who handed them to a new guy who had no clients. He was their only, Hmm. he was their only band. So as people might know, Sid released a couple of albums in 1970 and then officially retired from music and just became a recluse, at least from, you know, public appearances or anything and so fucking rules good for sid barrett man he's still i mean he's dead now i believe i think yeah he died in like Um, 2006 or something but like just making that bag off of the first two albums i imagine he made pretty good money still i would think yeah um good for him so but done Poor Choice by Andrew King and Peter Jenner. They got two not very well-received albums out of this genius. And then Steve O'Rourke became Pink Floyd's manager for, I believe, the rest of their career. 
So he he won that deal <laughs> by a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, he was a new new to management, and they were his only client, and he yeah he scored. Uh, and he was apparently a really good manager. But um, yeah. So. They returned to the studio in early 1968 without Sid this time, shocking all of their producers and everything, which kind of makes sense. They're like, Pink Floyd's coming back, but not with their main guy. Um, so they – and they realized they had to approach, approach recording and writing differently than they had before. Like on the last album, I believe Roger wrote one song, and then no one else wrote any songs by themselves aside from yeah. Sid. So they had no more lead singer or songwriter. They had no artistic visionary or at least single, you know, artistic visionary leading them. So it fell to the four, these four guys. Nick, Rick, and Roger being architecture, former architecture students, they decided, hey. Whoa. They should have named the band Nick, Rick, and Roger. <laughs> yeah, they should have, yeah. Uh, they decided, hey, what if we wrote songs like we would approach an an architecture project what if we yeah what if we map this shit out what if we kind of combined the artistic and the scientific and the engineered and took this like architectural approach to structuring compositions wild i know i know what if we did these long compositions with different sections with dips and rises that would build on each other and eventually maybe in a few years a whole album that would do something like that and you know what pj this book, at least, kind of credits them with inventing progressive rock in this moment. And you know what? Mm. I don't know a whole lot about the history of progressive rock, but sure, why not? I'll believe it. <laughs> yeah, if you can call this rock at all, for sure. <laughs> I think so. No, but okay. It's not electronic music. Um, so, they, yeah. So not rock music. Anyway, so they came into the studio with a kind of renewed enthusiasm for music um just not because they had any problem with sid but just because he was like they no longer had to sit around wondering if sid was going to get something done that day or whether sid was with them or not that day basically whether physically or mentally so they got to come in and kind of even though it was a big task and kind of scary they got to just approach it head on um So there's a really great quote from Nick Mason saying, all of us wanted to be involved all the time. So creating a percussion sound would find Roger holding the cymbal, David moving the microphone closer, Rick adjusting the height, and me delivering the coup de grace, which is pretty adorable to imagine all of them just so (laughs) eager to be like, ooh, and I'll help and I'll move the drum set around. And, you know, it feels like a scene from the monkeys. Yeah, yeah, right. I know. It's really adorable. (laughs) Uh, So I ended up on the album with uh seven songs roger wrote three of them rick wrote two and the band is credited with the other two so um there are two songs or i think there's three songs i forget exactly i could check my notes real quick i believe there's three songs that sid plays on yes there are three songs that sid plays on on the record um so and apparently on the first album he played this is a little bit of interesting guitar history that i did not know he played a Fender Esquire on the first album, which I hadn't heard of before. Ooh. Looked up. It's it looked it's a Telecaster. Yeah, it looked exactly like a Telecaster. And then he switched to a Telecaster when they recorded this album. And I thought, wait, what's the difference? And looked it up, and it's just the older version of a Telecaster. So, yeah, it's um, between. So here's a little bit of guitar history. PJ's Guitar Corner. Hell yeah. Um, originally, 
the well, and that's not exactly true, Pete. Okay. Um, a Fender Esquire only had the bridge pickup, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. I looked up. There was there was no yeah. neck pickup. Yeah. I believe the Esquire was the more affordable version of mm. the Telecaster because it only had the one pickup. Okay. Anyway, yeah. so then he switches to a white Telecaster. Davey, coincidentally, cool. also owned, he only owned one guitar at the time, a white Telecaster. So two different guitarists, not in the studio at the same time, playing the exact same guitar on this album, which is honestly really funny to me. <laughs> or at least just strange. Um, so... And then, uh, I don't remember if we talked about this last week, but Roger at this time is playing a Rickenbacker bass all the time, which is we a pretty, did not talk about it. a pretty groovy, one of those like red sunburst ones. Man, my dream bass is a Rickenbacker bass. So, uh, last thing before we get to the track by track, uh, second to last thing, uh, the album art, uh, which is going to be, uh, a consistent, section on this podcast usually album art only comes up if it's particularly interesting uh um, aka that's if, not true we talked about it every single time on the rolling stone well episodes. maybe but we usually didn't have like trivia about it or anything i guess like we okay, would mention okay, what it was but like unless wikipedia had a section on like how they shot the photo or how they did whatever the artwork was then we wouldn't usually get that deep into it but we should, we will for probably every Pink Floyd album because they are very, very famous for their album covers. And the reason is because I, previous to this, had thought just many of their famous album covers were made by Hypnosis. But apparently, from their second to their last album, they've been made by Hypnosis. Saucer Full of Secrets is the first wow. time working with Hypnosis. Yeah. And then all of them until... I believe all of them until final cut. I don't know that. Wow. Divi- well, Division Bell might be actually, and I don't know about Endless River. I doubt it. Um, but wow, that's yeah. crazy. So it's their first time working with Hypnosis. Uh, for people who don't know, it's an art collective, uh, made up of like graphic designers. Uh, so again, kind of like the you know a, a little more sciency, mathy approach to art, as opposed yeah. to these pure artists. Uh, so Pink Floyd makes sense that they got along with them a little bit. Um, yeah, so Storm Thorgerson, one of the founders of Hypnosis, was another childhood friend of Sid and Rogers. Uh, and in 1968, he reached out for a favor. Uh, after forming Hypnosis, he asked if they would request that EMI commission them to do their album cover, to you know give them a break, get them some publicity and a job and everything. At the time, in 1968, the Beatles were the only EMI group that were allowed to commission outside covers. Uh, but, Whoa. yeah, but crazily, EMI, or for some reason, EMI said yes. Uh, so this is the first and definitely not the last Hypnosis cover. So, and the cover itself is pretty cool. It's one of those where if you just glance at it, it looks like nothing. And then if you devote a second to looking through it, you realize it's kind of a weird collage. It's all like green and it's all green and brown and kind of just it kind of looks a little bit like the Strokes is this it cover like the amoeba cell close up. Yeah. But then when you zoom in on it, you realize there's a little picture of the band in there. There's a picture of all the planets. There's a page from uh, a comic book and stuff in there. And it's kind of all melded together in a cool way. Um, It's very cool. However, I will say. It's one of those albums that, like, at a record store, I'd pass over because it's not immediately striking. 
I agree. But once you actually look at it, it's super cool. It is one of those actually oh, yeah. that like I I want to see the I don't think I've ever seen a vinyl copy of this, and I would be interested just because it'd be cool to see. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back with the track by track. And welcome back to the Pink Floyd Fellas, where we're talking about a saucer full of secrets. But we're not keeping any secrets about our thoughts about the saucer full of secrets. So, uh, yeah. Well, PJ, before we get into the track by track, uh, we have Mm -hmm. the return, the triumphant return of one of our most popular segments, the Rolling Stone. What are you chugging? Oh. Yeah. Oh well. No, that's that's long gone. I don't think any other band has a song about about uh, chug a lugging anything. So uh, no, it's the Rolling Stone review. All right. Nice. Well, I like little saxophone sting coming in at the beginning. Um. Okay, so this review is by Jim Miller, who I don't know for sure, but I kind of feel like we have read before from the Rolling Stone days. It doesn't we'll sound see. super familiar, Rolling but it's also Stone's the most boring uh, name I've ever heard. So. Well, wait, let me click on his name. I forget that Rolling Stone does this. Their reviews are there. Uh, okay, he did 15 big ones by the Beach Boys. Speaking of the Which band. We did not talk about, I don't think. No, but speaking of the band, he did The Last Waltz. Oh, a great album. Yeah, he did. Let's see. Let's see if any Rolling Stones. He did a Holland by the Beach Boys, Sunflower by the Beach Boys. Wow. A lot of middle era Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah. He did Waiting for the Sun by the Doors. I forget oh, if we were doing we Rolling Stones. Yeah. And then he yeah. did Axis Bold as Love by Jimi Hendrix. So there we go. So he probably talked twice all right so jim miller some bona fides although i don't know if his reviews were good or not but all right i'm gonna read most of it because it's not super long okay uh first of all he calls them the pink floyd the whole time the pink floyd were in the (laughs) forefront of the self-consciously psychedelic rock movement in britain they had to their credit a couple of promising singles in arnold lane and cmle play and a fairly impressive first album Sid Barrett displayed a minor talent for writing, as well as a not insubstantial ability to prepare special effects and production. If much okay. of the Floyd, if much of what the Floyd did was based on gimmicks, Barrett at least had a keen ear that rather successfully successfully structured the gimmicks into a sort of pleasant psychedelic chamber music. Unfortunately, their second album is not as interesting as the first. As a matter of fact, it's rather mediocre. For one thing, Barrett seems either to have left the group or to have given up entirely participating in it. Only one Barrett composition is on the new album, and it doesn't do credit to his credentials as a composer. Mm. Uh, we're left with the work of bassist Roger Waters and organist Rick Wright. Waters, who wrote a couple of dull tracks on the first album, is an uninteresting writer, vocalist, and bass player. <laughs> Damn. Let There Be More Light and Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun are boring melodically, harmonically, and lyrically. The production isn't as glittery as the first albums, and the instrumental work is shoddy and routine, 
but both tracks run five minutes, examples of unnecessary length in rock. Shit. Corp- yeah. Tough. Yeah. Corporal Clegg at least has the virtue of brevity, as well as not sounding like it was written in a drug stupor, but its unoriginal melody is much too beetly for these post-Sergeant Pepper days. Rick Wright, uh, <coughs> whose organ playing is generally capable, if not inventive, has also contributed a couple Shit. of songs. That is the most backhanded compliment I've ever heard. It's really great reading this and being like, would you believe that in five years they're going to have the biggest, one of the biggest albums of the 70s? Oh, um, remember a day. Time. Yeah. Remember a day itself is inoffensive, but features some rather miserable bottleneck guitar, which, by the way, this guy's hero, Sid Wright, did. But anyway, or Sid Barrett, sorry. Uh, some second rate piano and empty sounding acoustic guitar. Uh, Nick Mason's drumming. Oh, he calls him Nicky for some reason. Nicky Mason's. Well, now I'm calling him Nicky. Hilarious. I love it. Uh, yeah. Nicky Mason's drumming is busy and ineffective. <laughs> uh, Seesaw is a ballad scored vocally in a style reminiscent of Ronnie and the Daytonas. Uh, the album's title track is 11 minutes of psychedelic muzak. Hardly instrument- yeah. electronic music, but hardly rock either. There's a lot of interesting noise. Agreed. There's a lot of interesting noise, and at times one is almost tempted to take the whole conglomeration as a significant experimental probe. But it settles reassuringly into a banal organ-cum-religious-chorus-final final finale, I assume he means. Yeah. One realizes that Pink Floyd are firmly anchored in the diatonic world with any deviations from the norm a matter of effect rather than musical conviction. Unfortunately, a music of effects is a weak base for a rock group to rest its reputation on, but this is what Pink Floyd have done. Scathing. Scathing. And do I disagree with him? Not really. I see where he's coming from, and I... I guess I don't mean about this, about the former album, when he takes digs at that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I see where he's coming from, and I totally get because this album is wildly different than the first one. And, you know, even yeah. as a music journalist, like, they're a brand new band. And for... I don't know how widely it was reported in the press that Sid left the group. It might not have been reported before this album came out because he doesn't know about it. But... Yeah. So it, it, it's pretty jarring. It's a pretty jarring difference. And I can definitely see, especially if you thought the first album was solid, thinking this album's shit and why don't they get back to that other right. sound. So... But with the hindsight and research that we have, you know, in history that we have now, we know at least why they did it, which gives it a better context, I think, or a yeah. more sympathetic context. But anyhow, uh, so let's get into the track by track. Of... Wow, Us and Them is such a long song <laughs> that is. I'm like, you did the entire Rolling Stone review. Let's get into A Saucer Full of Secrets. Uh, it was released in June of 1968. It went to number nine in the UK, pretty good. Failed to chart in the US. It is apparently yeah, the get only Pink Floyd album that did not chart in the US. Every other album at least hit the charts, which is pretty impressive, especially because we were talking about before the show, they have a couple like soundtrack albums and stuff that are coming up that I'm really surprised are gonna be more popular than the follow-up to their decently popular debut. Americans love soundtracks, it's a fact. That's true. Everyone owns the the Sound of Music soundtrack. Everyone owns yeah. the Doctor Zhivago soundtrack. Everyone owns everyone these. Everyone owns, owns the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Everyone owns the Cat soundtrack. Exactly, PJ. Uh, 
So that's... Tub Tugger is a curious cat. Yeah, that's right. I believe, I actually believe there were no singles released from this album, but I'm going to double check that. There was how one... Would there be a, okay. How would there be a single No, there is one album. single, Let There Be More Light, uh, was released in its edi- in an edited form as the fourth American single okay. by the group. Um, let's see what it charted at. I didn't mean to get mad there, but... <laughs> No, it doesn't feel like there's a... No, there's definitely not an obvious single. Uh, it did not chart. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Of course, yeah. All right, so that's really all the, the stuff. Let's get into it. Let's get to that. The album cut of Let There Be More Light. This is written by Roger Waters, and he sings the verses with Dave handling the choruses. Uh, such a trebly bass part, but such a good bass line. This is sick as hell for an album opening. I can't stand it. I know you planned it. Yeah, I was really excited when when this opened the album. Apparently, Roger and Sid would use the same amp. Something called a treble and bass amp, which I've never heard of, but they would use the same amp in the studio, which is really interesting. So it's like a Fender Deluxe Reverb where you can plug in two. Well, I don't know if it was the same time at the same time, but they both use the same model of amp. Okay, I get you. So everyone else coming in here. Dave really barely plays till later, but everyone else kind of fades in here. Um, You know, it's very jammy like they've done but it also kind of reminds me of the stones thing where they're all like so who's leading this song roger okay you start and then the rest of us just kind of come in doing our own thing and kind of yeah picking up the slack here right and that that's my i guess uh philosophy to every orgy i've been in yeah exactly (laughs) to pick up the slack yeah yeah it's coming whenever and then it took me a long time not to be just disappointed at it slowing down I, I do really like this song now, but it, it probably took me a good 12 or 15 listens to stop being disappointed because I, they leave that amazing riff behind. It is an amazing first minute of an album. And then to me, uh, we recently talked about Spinal Tap. And to me, it's like, it's very spinal tappy, and I realize spinal tap is parodying. Yeah, yeah. But see, I like the verse. So that was David Gilmore, Roger singing the softer part. Um, I I like You're just this. So I think, British. I think Davies' singing is really good, and I like the like organs swelling up during this part. Like, I think it's really it's pretty cool. I'm this song frustrates me because. Well, because of the thing we just talked about, where it's like a very, very good intro, and then it it just leaves you hanging. But also, and you know, this might be foreshadowing for my the rest of the album. They're all so talented as musicians. Yeah. But then, like, to me, it seems like they still don't. I don't know. Still don't quite know how to do it yet. Like this. Oh, definitely. Sounds a little bit like a cut off of. Like, uh, um, Dark Side of the Moon, right? Like, it, yeah. it could be, but it's just not there, right. you know? Oh, for sure. I will say, though, yes, I, listening to this song, <clears throat> as soon as David Gilmore's voice came in, I thought, oh, this sounds like Pink Floyd again to me. And I hadn't yeah. really realized, because he doesn't sing lead. I mean, it's pretty half and half between him and Roger, and then Rick jumps in there occasionally throughout their whole career. 
So like, I didn't realize though I, for me how closely tied David's voice was to. I Pink like Floyd. David Gilmore's voice. I really, lot. I love it too. I'm just saying like I'm surprised that that voice was like, oh, it's Pink Floyd now. Yeah. Even though it's not that it's, Pink Floydy. It's like your thing about how um, that one Steely Dan song that everybody likes, uh, "Dirty Work," is not really a Steely Dan song. It's just a weird one to be one that you would know because it's. Oh, it's the, it's the best one. It's not even close to the best one. Oh, it's, it's the best Steely Dan song. That's an insane thing. We'll have to do a Steely Dan podcast and have Paul yeah. on a lot. But So here's here's Gilmore's first guitar. It doesn't sound that David Gilmore-y. There's like one little stab here that kind of sounds like David Gilmore to me, it but does, the rest is you, pretty generic. You touched on this earlier. It sounds like David Gilmore trying to be Sid Barrett. Like, I get it. I get what he's doing. Yeah. For sure. There's one part I just... It's boring. Yeah, he's just he's just noodling. That little part right there decent. is, is yeah. David Gilmore to me, but then the rest yeah. of it's just kind of him figuring it out. But uh, let's go ahead and get to remember a day. This is written kind of in bluesy for a second. This is written and sung by Rick Wright, uh, and this is one they recorded before Sid left. He's playing the slide guitar on this. Again, super trebly bass line, which I didn't pick up as much on the first album, but on this one, he's really all over the neck of this bass. I feel like that's a common thing for Pink Floyd. Maybe I'm wrong. I feel yeah, like maybe bass I just is almost always very trebly. Maybe I haven't picked up on it a ton in the past, but which um, I don't hate. But yeah. I like this song. I don't love it. It's a little soft and just kind of mellow. But like, I like everything works for me. I like the slide guitar. I like the bass. I like uh, I like Rick's voice on it. It's definitely not like a Sid song, but in the lyrics, I kind of feel like the same kind of Sid thing of like from the point of view of a child and kind of that hippie druggy like nostalgia but cynicism thing happening so i think it's solid quite, but not fantastic i quite like the piano yeah um, so far pete you're gonna think i'm insane this is the best pink floyd song i've heard so far on the podcast it's to me it sounds like a real song you are truly insane i would say this is how many songs were on the first album let's say 10 let there be more light would be the 11th this is the 12th best pink floyd song we've heard on so far you're crazy every every song on the first album and let there be more light is better than remember a day it's not bad it's just not nearly as as good well i don't like any of it this is just (laughs) the best one all right all right when you put it that way um we could probably move to set the controls to the heart of the sun. Not a lot happens in Remember a Day. No, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, so this is another one written and sung by... Oh, not another one, but written and sung by Roger. Uh, Sid's on this one as well. This was recorded before he left. This one's a tough one for me in the beginning of the album because it's just so quiet and kind of long and slow. Um, and it's not even like the Rolling Stones classic slow thing to start an album. It's just like... I don't know what the vibe Beginning. is. This is like halfway through. It's the third song. And there's like seven songs. Okay, well, 
to me, it's a little bit like it's it's really setting the tone for an album, but in a weird spot to me. It feels like it should be later, but it does do the thing that I really hate, where the main riff, which is him on the bass again, is the melody. And so that's tied together, which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. I really dislike in songwriting. But this song is a showcase for me of Rick Wright, because he's playing the vibraphone and the organ the whole time, and it's really, really good. So it kind of makes this charmingly charming in kind of a low-key way. It's not a skip song, but it's, it's a little slow. I don't get it, Peter. I still don't get it. That's okay. I do it's think... Not... Yeah. I will say, like, you don't have to necessarily buy this book, but I feel like it did help me, especially on this album, when I was like, man, it's really slow. I'm having a hard time getting into it. For some reason or another, just, like, reading through how they put it together and, like, all the thought process of everything made me a lot more appreciative, at least. They got a high school fucking percussion section with this vibraphone and timpani and then they were like whisper weird stuff over here. I just I don't <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever ever understand progressive rock if you can call this rock that's my big thing this is not rock music well fine it's prog music then PJ you can call it prog that's fine alright well this is kind of this for the whole song let's go ahead and get to a true rock song Corporal Clegg Written by Roger, Davey singing lead, with Nick Mason doing his first backing vocal. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah, some really kick-ass wall of wailing guitars here. This is Nick coming up, by the way. This is the best Pink Floyd song I've ever heard. And it's just a Beatles copy. (laughs) Everything about it is so Beatles. Like, David's doing the Paul vocal, Nick is doing the John Lennon vocal, even with the John Lennon filter. Um, The little guitar stabs are super Beatles-y. The bass line's very Beatles. It's very Revolver. It's all, it's just mid-60s Beatles, yeah. But it's excellent. And they do this in every fucking song, Pete. It drives me crazy where the bass goes, boom, 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 boom. Oh, yeah. And then the vocal matches it. Yeah. They both do a run. And it's like, that's fine once or twice, but you can't. I do really like the wah guitar shit. during this part. This is at least a distinct non beatles thing, but the wah guitar kind of phasing in and out in the back is really cool. Yeah. And then also, like, at least, again, kind of because it's Davey's voice, but sounds more Pink Floyd-esque this part than the rest of it. And then they have fucking kazoos, because of course they do, which becomes an album theme because they show up later. But, I mean, this is the worst part of the song, but it's a pretty good song otherwise. I don't hate it. I mean, I would prefer it was a different instrument, but... A saxophone? Yeah. I don't, I don't mind that it's kazoo. Hell and then yeah. letting it, letting the track fade out, and then kicking back in, like it's it's some good, yeah. it's some really good cool. production touches on, on a lot of this album. But I, what I'm learning about us talking about this right now is I like their rock stuff, I do not like their prog stuff. Okay, well, this it's gonna be a long rest of the show because uh, we have a song no, coming know. up. That's I know gonna it be. is. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's the whole thing with Pink Floyd. If you don't love the 10 minute songs, then what are you doing? 
not enjoying your time. I guess, yeah. Hopefully they get better. I'm like, cause you like, like Shine On You Crazy Diamond, right? I, I like think, that song. I thought we talked yeah. about that. Yeah, and that's a. I mean, that's like 15. I like all of Wish You Were Here. I like yeah. all of Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. I like most of the wall yeah. from what I remember, but I think they'll you'll I mean you'll at least get there then. You'll you'll at least like some stuff, obviously, but, but. Um So If this was just a fucking Bobby Keys solo, <laughs> it'd be so cool. Uh so I do have a quote, another quote from Davey from from my book. I didn't know what the hell I was trying to play at the time, to be quite honest. I'd really no idea. What I was used to playing, the style I had didn't fit Pink Floyd, and I didn't really know what to do. So this is that was about this song, him figuring it out in real time. But and it it slaps, man. It's a good one. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and get to the side B. Oh wait, 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 wait. Okay. Huh? They're talking. Over oh the yeah, and then with the like the British. Will that come up voice again? It, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so let's get to side B. The first song, their first kind of centerpiece. Well, no, their second because they had Interstellar Overdrive yeah. starting the B side last time. Their centerpiece composition, a soccer saucer the, full of secrets. The titular song. Uh, so this is like the best example of them kind of taking their architectural approach. They have four distinct sections here, which they didn't name at the time, but later on a re-release they named them. Um, like you know, kind of officially divided up into four sections, like they did with Wish You Were Here later. So the really low noise at the bottom is Roger um, doing like rolls with his mallets on his gong because when they were messing around in the studio one day, which we haven't gotten into the gong, we, we'll talk about it during a quiet part in this song at some point. But when they were in the studio one day, he was setting up mics and found a way that the gong picked up like the really deep kind of reverberations instead of just the like cymbaly noises. And so then they recorded that as the bed of this of this section. Wouldn't it be cool to be a musician in the 60s when you just fuck around and yeah. be like, let's put that on the album. Hey, you fucked around and you found out. Yeah. You found out that people love this Found show. out how to make a hit album. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But yes, for real. It's like, I. it's hard to imagine, yeah, the idea of a band being like, we lost our lead singer and songwriter. We're going to go back to the studio and just figure it out. Instead yeah. of like, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I'm going to play with this gong for long enough to where I find out it can make very low noises. Yeah, yeah. This sounds like Dracula music. Yeah, the intro is definitely the least interesting part of this song to me. but And it's like 10 minutes. I don't hate it. No, it's, I mean, what's the, the whole thing's 11, I think. And minutes. it's, it's yeah. into, I think it's pretty solidly in four different chunks. So what about like three minutes ish a piece? What was that thing about the gong you were gonna say? Oh, oh yeah, we just haven't talked about their gong. Apparently, it was a thing in their you know antic their their zany live uh, performances. Uh, Roger would haul around a gong to like be on stage with them all the time and bang it at different points. So it was just, he was apparently really into the gong at the time. So. It was a hmm. thing, yeah. I I hate that. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. 
It's also funny that like David Gilmore couldn't afford more than one guitar, but Roger had a fucking gong. They must have gotten it for free, yeah. or it was like it was like five dollars at some antique shop, and they went, "All right, we got to bring this gong on stage." Yeah, Keith yeah. Moon just didn't want to take his gong home. One <laughs> yeah, he's like, "You have it, kid." Exactly. That is funny that they each only have one guitar. I know, right? It's pretty ridiculous. Let's see. One second. I'm like, I should have written down the the time stamps, but I think it says in my book. To me, this sounds like a like 1950s Disney cartoon when specifically Bambi when is like there's that fire in the forest this music could be yeah. playing and it would not seem yeah. out of place uh, the second part starts at 357 uh, we're like 15 seconds out oh okay okay and then the next one's 7 minutes and the next one's 8 and a half minutes boom bum boom 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 if only, right? This is getting me thinking, Pete. We should record a prog rock album. <laughs> I think it'd be really. We'd have easy. to be really good musicians, but we wouldn't have to be good at making music, quote unquote. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so the kind of spacey UFOE noises are David Gilmour put his guitar on the ground and grabbed like a mic stand and just waved it up and down the strings or like rubbed it up and down the strings a little bit. Oh, time. yeah. Um. So apparently their producer, Norman Smith, even though I think he was the same producer from the first album who was pretty gung-ho about like, let's get this psychedelic shit. You <laughs> know, like gung-ho. Yeah, recreated yeah. on out on the record. But he apparently really struggled to understand this track. <laughs> and eventually saying that he would help them record it, but just to get it out of their system. Um, and that did not work, obviously, because it got released. And apparently Rick at some point snapped at him, telling him if he didn't want to produce it, he could just leave. <laughs> Norman's my man. I like that <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah. Pretty funny. So, I don't know. It's this, this is cartoon sound effects. Yeah. So, similar to the last album, what I was saying about Set the Controls, I just feel like it's one of those songs where once you stop trying to care about whether it's like a good song or not, it kind of clicks, at least for me. And it clicks and is really nice. It's more of like a musical experience really in the way that people were concerned that they were you know soundtracking lsd experiences but that's what it is you know it's more it's not noise for noise's sake but yeah it's a lot more soundtracky yes, than I, anything else we could go to seven seven oh seven by the way if you want to i listened to this song while driving and every time i was like i gotta fucking skip it like <laughs> i cannot yeah, this isn't a great driving one. I guess I, I do a lot of walks while listening to albums, and, and this works on a walk, I guess. But I could see it being stressful maybe yeah, while driving. Yeah, walks where you just took a tab of acid. Yeah, exactly. I walk around on acid. It's Dracula music again. It's kind of great, yeah. When you put it that way, I like it even more. That was not the intent of that <laughs> statement. Multiple times for the listener, PJ has put his forehead against his microphone, kind of like he's banging his head against the wall with exasperation. So, 
just so people know how what the mood that he's in right now. And the mood that I'm in is I'm smiling a lot and kind of bopping he's along. He's <laughs> delighted, yeah. I've never seen him smile more than during this album. <laughs> Partially because I'm laughing so much at you, but... Uh, this is kind of fun. We could jump to 8.30. The last section is, in my okay. opinion. It makes it worth it, even if you didn't love the rest of this song. Uh, Rick jumps in with some pretty incredible organ, which it's a great chord progression and just some really, really well-recorded organ. It's so deep and bassy and beautiful. It's pretty fantastic. Very pretty organ play. Yeah. 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 So like this final section. What I tell my girlfriend every night, eh? (laughs) This final section to me, I mean, I I like the whole song at least somewhat, but this really kind of caps it off, makes it makes it worthwhile to get through because this part's really fantastic. This part really resonates with me because I really like church music. Yeah. Yeah. And Dracula, the Phantom of the Opera. I do love Dracula. Those are my three favorite things. I will say, when I first heard this song the first few times, and I still somewhat agree, it feels, and this is, you know, it's, they're, they're figuring their shit out as a band. Like, I think, you know, in five or six years, they, they would do this, but this feels like four ideas that they put together, because it was like, we're going to do a cool musical pastiche thing, but it really feels like, man, if they had just fleshed out the two best ones into actual songs, like this, maybe, and the drum guitar part in the middle like if they had just fleshed those out into actual songs i think they would probably be better than a saucer full of secrets is but i appreciate this for for what it actually is i guess i do like i do like this part of the song um it to me it does not make the rest of it worth it nor (laughs) am i like what a fucking great rock album Oh, um, well, no, it's prog rock, PJ. It's progressive, my friend. PJ, you know what progressive means? It means it's shit you aren't used means, to, my man. It means you're fine with the gays and the others. Yeah, I guess I mean in terms of music, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. You're not, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not certain what that means. You're not wrong. All right, uh, this just goes on. So we could get to Seesaw, uh, another Rick Wright track written and sung. This very much reminds me of a Friends era Beach Boys track. I <laughs> or actually, even like Sunflower or yes. something. Like it's just I, I had yeah. I had in my mind this is middle era's Beach Boys to yeah. me. It's just like simple lyrics about kids on a seesaw. It's very soft and mellow, but it's still really nicely done. I don't know. I like this one. The the backing vocals are a little Beach Boysy. The little like kind of electronic punches I really like there. And who wrote this one? Uh, Rick is... Wright. Okay. Um, we do at least need to wait, just in case you're thinking of skipping, to get to the section, second kind of section, the chorusy part. When the xylophone comes in. Peter, did you know that there's a planetarium uh, near you that uh, every weekend plays a different Pink Floyd album with a laser show? No, I had no idea. I just learned that from How the How near me? 
It's in Portland. Oh, is it the OMSI Planetarium? No, it's... Oh, yes, it is. Oh, I had no idea. That's cool. Well, we should go. Or, yeah, we should go. You should come out here and we'll go. Here we go. This xylophone part is sick as hell. I really like this little section. And still this very is, Beach Boysy. <laughs> it's so Beach Boy. It I gets know. so much more Beach Boysy here. Yeah. All right, we could go ahead and jump to the final track, track seven, Jug Band Blues. This is the single Sid Barrett composition, and he's singing. And Sid Barrett's singing? Yep. Him and Ringo have very similar voices. Yeah. It's, and it's, I think, exclusively because they both have the rare thing where they actually sing in a British accent. Yeah, for sure. It's like them and Herman's Hermans. Yeah. Which uh, is why the rest yeah. of the Beatles didn't let Ringo sing. It's a little bit of a weird one for me that they threw on. Like, Sid had, like, three or four compositions that'll come out later on... Uh, are on compilation albums and it's like this one's so distinctly like Sid kind of saying goodbye it's just a little weird because like I don't know if they consulted with him on putting this one on so it's a little odd to put this one on I guess but it's nice like it's a very sweet thing to do I guess but yeah and I do like this song quite a bit So the band is... Oh, go ahead. Maybe my second... The second best song I've heard so far. Because to me, this sounds like music. (laughs) It's definitely one of the more normal songs here, yeah. Um, And there's horns. So the band is a Salvation Army band. That... What? A Salvation Army band. Yeah, what? I don't know. I heard you. Oh. Let's look up what that is. Salvation Army Brass Band is a brass band affiliated with the core division or territory of the Salvation Army. They usually play in public places during Christian events in the calendar, such as Christmas. It's become a part of seasonal customs in the UK. I just realized that the Salvation Army is a Christian thing. Yeah, apparently. They How did I you. not know that from the name? Salva- I'm an idiot. I um, just know they sell clothes. So Sid said to Norman, like, hey, I want a Salvation Army band in here just playing random noise, which we're hearing now. And Norman yeah. said, okay, I mean, I don't, like, I guess I could go hire some guys, but, like, I just have to, you know. So anyway, so he went and hired some guys, brought them in. He asked Sid what to play, and Sid said, just, like, random shit, I told you. And then, like, got fed up and just left. And so then Norman, such a nice guy, I have to say, putting up with this shit. He wrote some chord charts for them based off jug band blues and gave it to them so they could record like an actual part and then after they recorded the actual part he said so i guess just like play random noise i don't really know but that's what he wanted so then they did that and then both all of it ended up in the in the song which is really honestly kind of sweet so (laughs) yeah yeah it's nice that he tried. Like he's very he's a very accommodating man it seems. It yeah, I agree. That's a good way to put it. Can I say real quick 
um, before we get to our final thoughts. Absolutely. Uh, so I listened to this album while driving, but then like this, you know how like when you listen to an album on Spotify, it just keeps playing songs that are similar. Mm-hmm. All fucking bangers after this. The oh, next yeah? one is Going to California. <laughs> one after that, Little Wing. The one after that is the gnome, which I'm not crazy yeah, about. Yeah, a total banger. You're right. Yeah, and then and then it gets into like wings. You know, it it's just weird weird stuff after that that yeah. I was like, this doesn't sound like Pink Floyd, but. <laughs> um. Okay, so. Yeah, a saucer full of secrets. PJ, would you like you or I to go first? I think. Did I go first last time, or did? You? Mm. I don't remember. Honestly. I might have made you go first last time. I believe that's correct. Um, I'll go Whatever first. Whatever you want. I'll go first. Um, it's better than the first one, for sure. I can't like, believe you think that. I was thinking you were going to hate this even more than the first. Like, because you joked last time. Sorry to interrupt your review immediately, but you fine. joked last time that you're like, it can only get better from here. And I was really expecting you to come on and be like, it did not get better. Another, <laughs> I'm giving this another one or whatever you gave the last one. one no, or two, this has one and a half songs on it and then the rest is filler it seems um but you know th- there's that one and a half songs the first album didn't have that the first album was all filler fuck off it's the opposite of ballpark franks god damn it all filler no beef yeah, oh, yeah. um and i you know i didn't enjoy i didn't enjoy listening to this album really but there were some moments where i was like pretty good like the, the the organ at the end of that one song um i don't remember the name of it the one you liked that you were like oh, the oh organ at the a end saucer of full of secrets yes oh yeah the the titular song um that's really good uh i really liked um i didn't really like anything on this album but i think remember a day was that the one that yeah i was that was the second yeah, one yeah that one's pretty okay the other one, Jug Band Blues. Mm-hmm. It's a fine song. There are just songs on this album, uh, which I know sounds like fucking very... Whatever a boomer in 1960, uh, not eight would be, you know? Yeah. The greatest generation. I know I sound like that, where if I listened to this at the time, I'd be like, oh, there's not real music on that. Yeah. And... Like, I get that that's how I'm coming off, but this one was better. All right. Three out of three out of ten. A three out of ten. Damn. All yeah. right. I'm impressed. Uh, Yeah, this album was – it's really weird. I mean, I guess I kind of knew it was going to be different because Sid wasn't on it, but it's really different. And I, I absolutely think if I was listening to them at the time, I would have hated this album. Like at least in the moment, like I might have learned to like it. Really different. Yeah, I think you said that. I don't get it. So to me, I mean, there's a lot of different. First of all, like it's just a lot quieter and sparser. Like the last album was just totally maximalist, um, psychedelic rock, where it was a ton of layered stuff. It was a bunch of weird noises. It was all that like layered on top of each other to the max. This is a lot of spare, quiet moments or like. Yeah, with just a single yeah. organ playing or the okay. gong rolling and stuff, and yeah. like, I'll I'll take it back. So I, it's a, yeah, I I get that. And yeah. then it's also just a lot darker, not necessarily in tone. Um, 
Like well, really, it does make you feel like you're in Transylvania. Yeah, so I get it. Like really, Sid's lyrics are probably darker than anything on here, but it's just a lot moodier and you know more I don't know kind of stuff in a minor key and just stuff like that. So in that way, it's just it's extremely different. And I will say, like I did not like it that much until like I said I read through the book and like reading through track by track somehow really helped kind of just put stuff in perspective and give me a little bit better perspective on a lot of the songs to where even though I don't love Saucer Full of Secrets or Set the Controls to the Heart of the Sun I at least like I do appreciate them I guess I will say so um but then I think stuff like Seesaw is I mean, it's good, but I actually think I kind of, I forget exactly what I said on the last album. I gave it a seven, but I also think I said, like, I don't know if I would go back and listen to it, but I do think it's good. After listening to this one, I would definitely go back and listen, I think, to Piper as a full album rather than this one. But then it's weird because I disagree with you where I think Piper at the Gates of Dawn is a lot more distinct songs. And this one's more of one where I would want to listen to the full album if I was going to listen to any of it, so... Well, let me be clear, Peter. I don't want to listen to either again. No, that's fine. I'm just saying, like, I disagree with you because I think this is more of a... This is starting to lean into the Pink Floyd thing that will be a thing through their whole career where it's, like, five to eight song albums or five to nine song albums with one or two, like, really long tracks as the centerpiece, Um, Mm -hmm. which their last album really only didn't do because a bunch of the other songs were short, so they made it to ten songs, you know, because Interstellar was still long, so... Anyway, all that being said, I think this is solid. I think it's one less good than Piper at the Gates of Dawn. I think it's a 6 out of 10 for me. It is solid. It's starting to, like, for sure hint at future Pink Floyd. You can hear flashes occasionally that sound like the best Pink Floyd music. But the stuff that – and the stuff that works is really great. But then even the stuff that works really well, like Corporal Craig – yeah, Corporal Clegg is amazing, and I know I'm a big bad a big Badfinger fan, so this sounds hypocritical, but it's just like a little bit too Beatlesy, you know? It's a little you bit too much like. Oh, why? that's the one I liked, Corporal yeah. Clegg. Yeah. So that one's good. Anyway, it's I guess be- you. Here's the thing. Okay, here's the thing though: is that like for some reason, because I know what Pink Floyd are and can be, it bugs me a little bit that they would stoop to the level like i would rather they do a boring prog rock song of just weird noises than be like we should be copying the beatles but then i wouldn't rather but then on the other hand because it's at least more like interesting but then on the other hand i do love it because it's a chance for david gilmore to ball out so like that's great yeah um did shelby have thoughts on this album she did not no i think we listened to it like one time and since there wasn't a lot of sid singing a gnome and a rat and my bike in my house she didn't really pick up on anything yeah okay because i would love to start a segment where shelby just gives her opinion on it well one second shelby can you come here if you're here she might have gone to get food Hello. Where are you at? The living room. Oh, okay. I yelled for you, but uh, you're on oh. the sh- you're live on air, Shelby. <laughs> oh. Just kidding. Hello. You're not really. 
Uh, PJ wanted to know if you had thoughts on a saucer full of secrets. I said I wasn't sure if we'd listen to it together or not. Um, is that the one where <laughs> there are gnomes in the garden? <laughs> no, that's the last album. <laughs> oh, then I don't think we have. Okay, sorry. We're gonna start a regular segment on what you think of it because he enjoyed your thoughts so much last time. So. Okay. Well, I'll they were so accurate. I can tune in next time. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. Love <laughs> okay. you. Bye bye. Okay, well, that's that. Sorry, PJ. I that's think okay. not that this would have worked over the phone, but I think if I played a couple songs, she might recognize, you know, but whatever. Just because I'm pretty sure we did listen to it in the car once. Anyway, so yeah, six out I of ten. I get it. It's a pretty forgettable album. Yeah, so. six out of ten for me. So, and now Pink Floyd, I mean, they are set for their career until they, you know, stop getting along. Uh, but they are—they have their final lineup. I—I I wonder if that is the shortest time. I mean, like, yeah. I wonder if that's the shortest time someone has been in a band. Kind of like it's pretty wild for your main guy. I mean, it, it, to just yeah, fuck like off, maybe you know? you're not that the Beatles released anything with a Pete Best type, but it's you know like maybe your drummer or a a piano player or something disappears after an album because they have a work commitment or whatever or a different job that they want to go take because they aren't sure if this thing's panning out. But to have your main guy disappear after one album How How long was crazy. that first ACDC guy who sounds exactly oh, like the yeah. other ACDC guy in it? That's a great question. That might only be one or two albums. Let's find out. One of Actually, them I think Bron- that's more because I think Bon Scott came in like 1980, right? Wasn't he in Back to Black? Wasn't that his first one? Is Bon Scott dead? Is he really? Or is that the original not, guy? No, I'm Bon Scott. Confused. Oh, Bon Scott's the original guy. Yeah, I. Okay. He died in 1980. How many albums did they put out? Yeah, I think their first album came out in like 74. So I think they put out four or five. That sounds right to me. Yeah. Uh, could be. Because Dirty see. Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, I'm pretty One, sure, is like 74 two, or five. Three, four, five, six, seven. Um, they did. One, two, three, four. Seven albums with. Yeah. Him. Okay. Okay, that was really confusing because I was like, that yeah. main guy's not dead now, right? Because his name is Brian something or other. Brian Jones? No, that's not right. But Brian, another Brian, Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson. Yeah. Another very boring British name, yeah. except I think he's Scottish or some dumb shit. So, yeah, I mean, it, it might. I guess email us, write us in at Gmail, beachboysboys at gmail.com um, if you need to log in. Write us in at Gmail. Yeah, write just us go, in at. Just go log into your Gmail. Yeah. Um, Find us. But write us in if you can think of a good example. I mean, like we can do some research, but just off the top of my head, I don't, I don't know that I know of. Uh, I'm a, sure I'll like think of one a significant later, member. I guess Dwayne Allman's yeah. the other one because I think he was only on one. That's yes. I think he was only on one studio album, right? I think two. I thought it was oh, only one album. because Sorry, yeah, studio. because then the other one he yeah. was on was a live one, and then he was on Eat a Peach, which is again just live recordings. Right. I'm pretty sure yeah. he was only in one Almond Brothers studio album. So. I, I was counting Eat a Peach, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, I so think. Dwayne Almond's a good one. And kind of similar to Pink Floyd, where they just immediately like retooled and still went on to be one of the most famous bands of all time, even though they should have been ruined, kind of, it seems like. But yeah. they worked it out. Oh, no, he he was on two. He was on the Almond Brothers band and then Idlewild South. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then... Hi, you lo- Sorry, why'd she just call me and then not pick up again? 
Jesus Christ. I thought she remembered I thought she remembered thoughts on the band and I was so excited. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, well that has been a saucer full of secrets. Next we have the first Pink Floyd soundtrack studio it is still a studio release, so we will cover it, but it was written as a soundtrack album. And uh first of at least two that I know of. Uh, and as we were, I think we were talking about this off air before the show, very a new territory for us to be a band that would be, you know, hired to do a soundtrack. So, yeah. And what's the name of that? So I remember to listen to it's called more, which I thought was a really funny name for an album, like more Pink Floyd until it's, I think it's the same name as the movie. So not that funny. Uh, it's not well, a joke, good. but it would be a funny it's joke. Like magic Christian music. You know? Yeah. But it'd be a funny, like that's kind of a funny album. In the 60s, especially now, I'm sure it would be lame. Lame. Uh, Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats have an album called... Their second album is called A Little Something More From... That's nice. Which is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I like that. All right, All right well... Pete. I'll see you on the other side of that moon, PJ. Did I come up with that? I forget. I kind of feel like I'll I did, because I feel like you did something you else, and then I said that, and you were like, oh, that's the obvious that one. Yeah, I forget. Yeah. All right. Write us in at beachboysmysgmail.com yeah. if you remember who yeah. said what last time. And listen to our other podcast. I mentioned it like 12 times. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. A Beach Boys Boys production. Did you know? So you, you're familiar with Hank Williams. Um, I suppose you know of him. Um, yeah, I know of him. And, I know a couple songs. And you know he has a son, Hank Williams yeah, Jr. He has, he has three. That's why Hank Williams the third exists. Okay, so there's Hank Jr. Yes, I know Hank Williams Jr. and Hank Williams the third, or I know of all of them. Um, yeah. Hank Williams Jr. is not actually named Hank Williams Jr. and Hank Williams the third is not named Hank Williams the third. They're just stage names? Yeah. Isn't that annoying? That is such bullshit. <laughs> um, That's so dumb. Especially because Hank Williams III, like, choosing that for your stage name is crazy if you are not actually named that. Because it's, I mean, it's funny, but. Well, and they just call him Hank Three, which I'm like, yeah, that makes sense no. if you are Hank Williams III. But, uh, no, Hank Williams Jr.'s name is Randall Hank Williams, known professionally as Hank Williams Jr., First off, wow! Just because you could be like, my daddy's Hank Williams, and then Hank Williams the third, his real name was Shelton Hank Williams. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess at least Hank Williams is in his name, but yeah, that's a little ridiculous. That's not how being a junior works, though, man. No, you're right. You gotta fucking earn it. I'll tell you that much. <laughs>